I suspect that a huge issue has to be the tension between clinical medicine and public health, right? So if mm-hmm. you're a clinician, you're very much thinking about you know, the individual patients you see and what you see on a regular basis and what that looks like. You know, public health people think, and I, that's just how I function, you think in the realms of thousands, millions. Um, and, you know, you function in terms of the space of how do we balance what is good for many, 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 many people versus what may infringe on the rights of some other people. And so I, I think that it can sometimes be challenging um, to be able to marry the public health world with the clinical medical world. Happy to be here. Yes, I am devastated by Betty White's passing. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I've talked it? to 20 people about it today, and I'm the most devastated until I talk to the two of you. So I'm glad you're equally devastated. Oh, I no. Devastated. I didn't even know how to break it to my wife when it happened. I was like, I know. I tell her. Did I tell yeah. you? You know what's funny? I posted about it. And when I posted, I'm like, John already posted about it 20 minutes ago. I'm like, what? How did he get? How did he not tell me? Number one, can't just put it on social media without a phone call. I know. Good God. Yeah, I, got, I got a I got a TMZ alert, and you know, like if it's TMZ, I mean, that's got to be true. Yeah, that's true. On Twitter, which is also the place you go to confirm things like this, and then Twitter confirmed it. So then, yeah, it's like, oh, it's, it's true. I always but, wonder, like there's got to be some kind of fucking deal with aging celebrities and TMZ because there's no reason for TMZ to be the first one to be able to break a celebrity debt. Like the time, all the time. Like, and they, I mean, like they, I mean, they pretty much broke like Michael Jackson, Whitney. Yeah. They're there even for like the people that are like in their forties. So yeah, they, 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 I mean, they've got a, they always have their pulse on, uh, you know, all of this. It's they have their foot on the necks of dying celebrities, is what it sounds like. <laughs> that is the truth. I think Heather's making some accusations. I'm just fascinated by TMZ. I mean, you know, it's founded by a lawyer, so you know, take that yeah. for what you will. Um, That's but, true. Uh, having being a lawyer, I, I can make lawyer jokes. Okay. I sure. But um, you know, I, it's uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think we we should we should get to the bottom of that TMZ. Let's let's. Uh, I, I have questions. I need them answered. I agree. I think Heather became so, a lawyer like, just for the lawyer jokes. She was an amazing woman, a trailblazer, someone that fought the good fight. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not in the comedy world, but seemed like somebody who um, was a super hard worker, mm-hmm. did what she did for 80 plus years. So and, funny, uh, too. She, yeah, I mean, and uh, we'll be dearly missed. So uh, sending yeah. you good, beautiful vibes as you... Um, as you move on, Betty White, and you will be missed. R.I.P. Betty White. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Yep. Thank you for being a friend, Betty White. 
I saw a meme where it said all these ladies are having cheesecake in heaven now. <laughs> she completed it. Oh my god, that's right. Yeah, because she was the last golden girl. That's right. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Yep. And uh and she'll have the Mary Tyler Moore cast too to greet her in heaven. Yeah. Right. Ed Asner. Yeah. 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 Ed, yeah, Ed and Mary and uh is George Jet still alive? I don't know. I don't want to get rid of her ahead of time if she is. Ugh. Somebody contact TMZ. <laughs> see if uh see if she's still alive. What I also find interesting, because what Heather does best is uh, peer-reviewed articles. So it seems like Twitter is the peer review of our modern, like, not I, as smart people. I kid you not. I mean, Twitter, Twitter gets some good, like, on-the-ground information, you know? And it's, it's, it's sort of like also modern-day crowdsourcing. So it's, you know, millions of people kind of, like, getting you the information. Uh, it's impressive what twitter does i i'm highly impressed by twitter i am so what's up new zealand yeah speaking of new zealand they're are they still handling the uh pandemic well uh yeah new zealand is doing okay uh you know everybody's having difficulties now relative to where they were uh you know australia is a good example it was just doing amazingly for a long time and then They've had some blips as well. So everybody's having their uh, moment um, relative to where they were, which is unfortunate. But yeah, that's where we are. As I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah. Well, the thing that's uh, I, I don't I, I don't think anybody. Well, just for people who don't know what, what how who what, like this is your basically one of your areas of expertise. You have many. But like as far as like you do, I don't know what like it's too long to list. <laughs> like, like i think the other day when i was like setting up a clip i like went through your like credentials and i was like i'm gonna be typing for the next fucking 20 minutes like <laughs> like i'm just gonna yeah. pick the best of i don't know like how do i introduce you but like you've been doing this for a long time right yeah um <clears throat> you know it's actually really interesting that you said that it's i'm not this is not you know sort of a journey in my in my career per se but um i um <clears throat> I went to Princeton undergrad and I was uh, Afro-Am major. And I was one of these people. So Princeton is an interesting school whereby they don't have any uh, professional schools. And so you can kind of hang out there and really enjoy yourself and you look up and then people are like, hey, what are you doing next year when you graduate? And you're like, well, <laughs> something else I should be doing. So, right. uh, you know, unlike, unlike every other Ivy that has a professional school, Princeton doesn't. So I graduated and I kind of, or I was getting ready to graduate, very unclear what I wanted to do, um, ended up going to law school. That, that's what all good history majors do who have nowhere else to go. And uh, then <laughs> from there, went to public health school, had a great mentor that suggested it. I kind of always thought I was sort of like a fledgling wannabe doctor, but I really didn't like medicine. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But I always really, I always really, really like diseases and and how they functioned in society um i was always really interested specifically in mental health issues um and very even more specifically in trauma and trauma research probably because i led a 
trauma-free existence. And I think sometimes when you are not traumatized, it makes it much easier to be able to help others who have been traumatized. Um, I think it's a lot more challenging if you have a trauma history to help people with the trauma history because you are trying to grapple with your own trauma history, um, your own trauma journey, which um, is a lot to deal with. You can be you can be uh, sympathetic of other people's trauma history if you have one, um, but sometimes it can be very challenging to help them with it because you're trying to work through your own trauma and that can be very triggering for you. Um, I like that you say that too, because I feel like that's where we're stuck right now. Like we're stuck right now with, especially if you look on Twitter or whatever, where it's people who are dealing with trauma constantly checking themselves with also other people who deal with trauma and it's just back and forth. Like I I would never seek help from anybody. No, I mean, not not even, I don't mean this, even mean this offensively or disrespectfully, but I would never seek help from somebody who is, if I was scared of flying, I would never seek help from somebody on the plane who is also gripping the fucking seat handles and, you know, having a panic attack, but that's what it seems like where we are today, which is nobody wants to hear from anybody who is like, here's what you need to do to fix yourself. They're like, I'm perfect the way I am. I'm going to keep hyperventilating and talk to this guy. Thank you very much. It's such a a fabulous point because usually people who themselves are going through some sort of crisis are going through the crisis. So it's challenging for them to be able to also sort of like step back objectively and say, I'm in my own crisis, but let me also help you with your crisis. Um, So I think that's why I was always interested in trauma work, which basically because I could look at it objectively and felt that there was a space for me to help. Um, And then, you know, from there, I um, got my master's in education at Columbia's Teachers College. And my focus was actually adolescent uh, health and adolescent mental health uh, and looking at traumatized uh, youth because I was very interested in starting a nonprofit around that, which I actually ended up doing. Um, and it exists today. And we work with young people ages four to 24 who have been uh, traumatized, court involved, in foster care, homeless. We have a student right now that is in a shelter. We're trying to get him and his family out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we work a lot with that population and we are a service provider for other organizations. Um, so we work with about 4,000 students a year and we have 78 youth nonprofit partners in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. So that's what I do. So I'm a public health law professor. Awesome. Um, the, the 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 degrees, the public health degree, the law degree, and the education degree would suggest that I had this all figured out at age two. Um, you know, I like to joke that I figured it out like yesterday. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's been a journey for me, but it's been a wonderful journey. And I'm glad that I can, um, you know, be able to do the work that I do. I've been doing public health for a very long time. And I would say up until about two years ago, when I told people that I was a public health professor 9.5 people out of 10 were like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> I don't right know what could you explain it to me sometimes they wouldn't ask me to explain it they just were like i don't know if that is it doesn't sound very interesting um you know my work before covid um i did a lot of uh ebola mandate work so looking at uh ebola and how we dealt with that from a regulatory perspective um really interesting case several years ago casey hickok be uh, Chris Christie, uh, which uh, basically looked at the legal fight uh, between um, a woman, a nurse um, who came back from Western Africa versus the then governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. Um, I right. also did a lot of work looking at seatbelt laws and a lot of work looking at um, 
uh, you know, other other public soda bands and sure. uh, 1918 flu. Uh, right. But it was all <laughs> theoretical. And then COVID yeah. happened and my life completely changed from the theoretical to the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I ended up being here with you two wonderful individuals. Um, oh, thanks. In trajectory. Yeah, well, that's the craziest thing. I mean, I, I've been talking with Tom about this, too, because there's a lot of, um, you know, I mean, I follow a lot of news websites and stuff like that. And the constant thread between this whole thing has been like, for some reason, people don't believe that uh, vaccines or even the question of mandating them is a they think the Constitution protects from any kind of public health stuff. Can you can you kind of just run through that and explain why that doesn't make because that's the thing. They're like every time I say something, they're like, read the constitution or the, you know, or the Bill of Rights. And I'm just like, fucking, why are you out of your mind? Like it doesn't, but there's no way to really articulate it. I feel like as a public, you know, health lawyer, you'd be able to knock that out of the park. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so briefly, um, there's this thing that we fought about 150 years ago called the Civil War. And um <laughs> Out of that, so, you know, I mean, you know, the thing we think about in terms of civil war is slavery um, Mm -hmm. and whether or not individuals would continue to be enslaved in this country. The the obviously sort of nuanced point of that, which is not so nuanced, is that there were certain um, parts of this country that believed that they had the right to enslave people. And there were other parts of this country that believed that people should not be enslaved. But that was a federal versus state argument. So the question Mm -hmm. was, should a state have the right to be able to just decide what it's going to do, how it's going to do? Or does the federal government have the right to come in and say, you can't do that? So we fought a whole war over that. Um, And in the end, we decided to become these United States that went forward basically saying there are certain things that the states can do and there are certain things that the federal government do. So the federal government has certain enumerated rights. These enumerated rights are articulated in the Constitution. There's not that many. So the Mm -hmm. federal government can do a few basic things. They can take your money. That's called taxing. They can spend your money when Mm -hmm. they tax you. They can declare wars. They can do something called necessary and proper unnecessary proper clause where they can sort of it's a little bit of a catch-all but it's basically sort of like a couple of other things they can do but it's it's not you know super expansive it's very sort of uh nuanced um and and that's really about what the federal government can do and this is all articulated within the constitution um what can the states do everything else the states so what we did as a country was essentially to say the Constitution enumerates the rights that the federal government has and what the federal government can actually do. The right. federal government also has power over what's called interstate commerce. Um, and that essentially is anything that has to do between two states. Um, something I often like to talk about, too, is so, for example, kidnapping is usually a federal law. Why is mm-hmm. kidnapping? federal law because normally it involves several states so the example right. i use in class is so let's say you're hanging out in uh fort lee new jersey and you decide mm-hmm. to connect the and you're like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna well as you know if you live in new york new jersey you're next right to george washington bridge right, right. <laughs> and i'm gonna take this person to new york and then i'm gonna hide them somewhere in uh poughkeepsie Right. Right. Well, you have just 
you now are in the federal system because you've involved two states. Um, it has become a federal crime. And that would then put you into the auspices of the federal government. So that's a federal crime. But though there, there's actually very limited situations where you will find yourself afoul of federal law or in federal jurisdiction. You've got to actually work pretty hard to do that. You evade your taxes, you know, you kidnap somebody. Um, even mm. murder won't get you there unless maybe you murder like a bunch of people in a bunch of different states. Um, right. But basically the federal government is very um, prescribed in terms of what it can do. The rest of it it's the states, including public health. And as Tom is super sick of probably hearing me talk about, there's a case he and I talk about all the time called Jacobson v. Massachusetts. It's a 19, mm -hmm. he, can probably, he can probably cite it better than me. It's a 1905 <laughs> case and involves a man named Henning Jacobs, Jacobson, who was a pastor in Massachusetts, didn't want to get the smallpox vaccine. He waited out uh, Cambridge uh, local government for five years. They find like, my man, you got to get the vaccine. He's like, no, 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 I'm not getting it. And so he was arrested and fined. And the basic question in that case, the most basic question is, does the uh, does your local government have the right to say to you that you have to do something to protect yourself? Remember, mm -hmm. you need to protect himself, but also the bigger issue, which John, you allude to all the time, protect the greater public. And the answer is right. absolutely. So the Jacobson case it is still good law. It's the most important public health case that any of us know of. Um, it, it stands to this day. Um, and that case, which is now a 120-ish year old case, stands for the proposition that your local government has the right to be able to prescribe certain laws that will protect the interest of the public. And it balances the tensions of your personal civil liberties balanced against the public health of others. And that is the tension. Um, but in cases like that, the local government has the right to be able to prescribe certain laws. Is there a reason, though, that there's nobody? I mean, like, because I, I don't understand this. We have a clip of Biden that I want to show, too, uh, that Tom's got geared up. But, like, I don't hear anybody talking about it. I've never heard. I mean, I, I like Fauci, but I've never heard Fauci really say anything about public health. There seems to be genuine disinformation that people don't really seem to understand, including, like, you know, uh, we were talking about earlier clinicians and basically the way they're looking at it and not looking at it from a public health standpoint. Um, why? I mean, I don't understand what the disinformation, where, where is it coming from? It's over, I mean, again, you're, you're on it as always tonight. Um, I suspect that a huge issue has to be the tension between clinical medicine and public health, right? So if mm -hmm. you're a clinician, you're very much thinking about, you know, the individual patients you see and what you see on a regular basis and what that looks like. You know, public health people think, and I, this is how I function, you think in the realms of thousands, millions. Um, and, you know, you function in terms of the space of how do we balance what is good for many, 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 many people versus what may infringe on the rights of some other people. And so I, I think that it can sometimes be challenging 
um, to be able to marry the public health world with the clinical medical world. And also, you know, I mean, as I've told you, I feel like I'm a super nerd, so I could talk all day about uh, Jacobson v. Massachusetts and Chris Christie v. uh, Casey Mm -hmm. Hickox and some of these more nuanced public health cases. But I think a lot of people may not be as familiar with the legal underpinnings of some of this. And so then when we get into a crisis, it might be challenging to be able to explain to people there, there actually is a legal underpinning to why we are doing some of what we're doing and the notion that, oh, my rights are being infringed, leave me alone, uh, I, yeah. I don't need any of this. It's just not, it's not grounded in the law. It's is just- there a better way to get the message out? Because again, like, how do you get that met? Like, what? Like, why isn't it repeated every day? On like, like I feel like at least for the, at the very least, when people talk about COVID, even in like you know anything, NJ.com articles, uh, New York Times article, whatever, no one is going. Here's what can be done. Here's what the government has it well within their rights to do for the benefit of public health, and here's what should be. It's never that. It's never any of this. The only person I've actually heard any of this from is you. So I don't understand. I don't understand. And, and I try to get, you know, and it's it's just difficult because I feel like none of this is coming from anybody that's on the forefront or uh, from an, you know, from an authority perspective, because it's like, you know, you either get people talking about it, even even like we were saying before, clinicians and like people who do work in the medical field who are just kind of sort of misguided. I don't even know what the hell to call them at this point, but where they're like, they're taking it case by case basis. We're like, I got a cousin. Sue Ellen, whatever the fucker, you know what I mean? Like whatever the name is, but they're just like, I got a cousin who got it, got up a day and a half later, totally fine, lifting tractor, you know what I mean? But like, it's, no one understands it. Like you had said at one point too, there's 7 billion different immune systems. No one knows how to handle it. I don't understand why people are taking it and compartmentalizing it. Is it fear? Is this the emotional effect we were talking about before where it's like, because people are just so tense and scared of it, they'd much rather focus on, the one person that survived first, the fucking 900,000 that died. They're like, yeah, but Phil's doing great. Have you seen Phil? He's back out pitching on that little league softball team. He's got, I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I would go back to the fact that two years ago, like I mentioned, when I tried to explain to people what I do for a living, the vast majority of people honestly had neither the understanding nor interest in what I did to spend more than 10 seconds talking with me about it. Sure. So I, when you try to put things in the overdrive for people and you say, okay, here's an area of life that you didn't even know about and you didn't care about two years ago. And now we're expecting you to sort of quickly become an expert um, and then have all the sort of nuances the same way that somebody that's been doing this for X number of years would, I think that's very challenging. And I think it's something that, you know, honestly, as evidenced to me by the fact that when I would tell people what I do, they legitimately were usually not even interested. I mean, let's be real. A lot of people are not interested in this. They want to go back and live their lives on the Little League team and going to Broadway shows and living their lives. They, They really honestly don't want to spend 12 hours of their day pouring through, uh, you know, the dissenting opinion of Jacobson B. Massachusetts. That's not where they're interested. Now, you right. would probably, I guess you would say to yourself, oh, but it should be because there's people that are sick and yeah. people that are dying and there are people that um, are not well and there are variants happening. But I think for a lot of people, they're saying to themselves, hey, 
a lot of people are saying to themselves, I, I, I want no part of this. I want to go back to my 2019 life. So I think everybody is not a John Pavromo who can sort of like pivot and say to themselves, we're not in 2019 anymore. Now I have to care about the thing that has taken over our lives. I think for right. a lot of people, they just don't want to deal with it. And I can't blame them. Um, it just happens no. to be that it's, this is like my life's work. So yeah, yeah. To me, this is like the moment I've been, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, I was thought I'd live my life out as like an old timey Medicare Medicaid attorney. Cause that was, <laughs> and it didn't work out that way. Um, so, yeah. you know, I think for people like me who this is my life's work, this is, this is, you know, the moment for people like me, for other sure. people who want to be able to just go off and live their lives. I think they're just very angry and they want to go back to how things work. But yeah, I, I mean, I agree too. And I mean, I'm angry. Tom's angry. I mean, we're, we've lost work and, and I want to get back. I, I was nicely easing back into doing gigs, even though I want, I demanded that they all be vaxxed and all that other shit when Delta was going around and stuff and people wore masks and whatever, but like, you know, I'm angry about that kind of shit too, but I don't, I just don't, I feel like the message was never there in the first place of like, I'm not even trying to place blame, even though it sounds like it, but it, it does feel like it's poor messaging, which is like, if we just do this all together for this amount of time, then we can have our fucking, you know, uh, summer in a year or whatever the hell it is. But I feel like it's gone. There's no messaging because now it's like you, we were talking about at 1.2 is it's out of control. You know, Omicron, our, our viruses, well, play that clip of Biden real quick before I, uh, because this, I think Vice President said in you. recent days that that you didn't see Delta coming, you didn't see Omicron coming. How did you get it wrong? <laughs> How did we get it wrong? Nobody saw it coming. Nobody in the whole world. Who saw it coming? I guess the Vice President said in How How infuriating is that? That nobody fucking saw it coming. I mean, I'm I'm literally gonna splice that up and have you because it's but You've been talking about variants since the beginning. Yeah, I've been talking about variants since March 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it was, it, I, it, I, again, I, I, I chuckle because thankfully for you, John, you, you haven't had to listen to me drone on <laughs> four times <laughs> for years. Oh, I appreciate every second of it. <laughs> I was going to have to listen to some more of me droning on. But the very first show we did, which I had to be reminded of this, but the first show we did, but it makes sense. I was talking about mutation and variants. And my mantra for the whole point, every time somebody comes to me and they talk about, but there aren't that many deaths, but there are not that many people sick. I always say the biggest fear we have from a disease like COVID-19 um, was, um, is mutations, variants, it changing. Um, and again, you know, there's a really great quote from an immunologist um, in the Midwest, and he talks about how, um, Dr. Loring, he talks about how COVID is getting better at being a virus. Mm -hmm. I mean, COVID-19 was like, you know, whatever, like a five-year-old. COVID-19 uh, now, so, you know, Delta Omicron, it's like a fully-fledged adult. It got, mm. it got it. It got the memo. And yeah. Um, you know, the other thing to think about, and again, I, I drone on about this, but a virus isn't successful if it kills everybody, because then it's dead too. <laughs> what right. a virus is going to be good at is figuring out the secret sauce, the secret 
virus sauce of how many people can I get sick enough so that I can do my thing and just keep living. And again, the example I always give is chickenpox, herpes zoster, right? Which, you know, we don't hear about it as much these days because there's a vaccine. But mm-hmm. back in my day, certainly, you got chickenpox as a child. And then guess what? It lived on your spinal cord for 40 years. Then as soon as you're like going into retirement, ready to like, you know, hang out in the villages, boom, you get shingles, right? Yeah. It's a highly successful virus to live in your body for 40, 50 years and then pop up with something else. And then boom, you've got shingles. So that's like, you know, I mean, chicken pot, you know, it's sort of like, I feel like if we had some sort of like, uh, you know, celebrity virus show or something, you know, chicken pot would be waltzing in with like the crown on its head. Like, look at me. Yeah. (laughs) Chicken pox would be accepting the Lifetime Achievement Award, and everyone's like, how did you do it? And he's like, please. Lifetime Achievement Award, exactly. right. One small step for germs. Right, exactly. (laughs) COVID is like, "Mm, wow, uh, that is impressive, chicken pox. So that's what you have to think about. So, I mean, you know, I don't, I, I, Yes, I, I to say that nobody saw variants coming. Um, and I, you know, and compared to my public health colleagues who are deep in the immunology world and very much steeped in um, the virology world, those people a hundred percent saw this coming. Yeah, they may not have been able to tell you the exact timing. They may not have been able to say, you know, in uh, January twenty twenty two, we will have this variant. But I would say anybody who's a public health person who is paying was paying any sort of attention back in 2020 would have said to you, that's the huge concern is that we have a variant or a series of variants um, that become even better at being a virus. So I, I'm hard pressed to see how anyone who's a public health person at least would say, wow, we're, we're caught flat-footed on this to super right. cool this. and it seems like he just shot his his whole team in the foot by doing that anyway you know what i mean like he he obviously does have a team of people that are like the fuck dude like what do you mean none of us you know um makes them look look shitty you know right because he's because he's got a team you know that team they're very hard-working people and they're very committed to the work that they do and so uh you know i would say that the public health people in that administration Certainly, I mean, if they weren't concerned about variants, I'm not sure then why they've been doing what they're doing. Right. Because the whole reason why you would be doing all of these public health measures would be because you are concerned about the next variant. That's exactly mm-hmm. why you would be doing why you're doing. Right. And then, so some people, I think, uh, have been saying that, um, it, you know, there's been report. There's another thing I hear all the time too, because everybody gets their information from. I don't. I don't know fucking where. So I just want to clarify if it's. But, but a lot of people are basically like, hey, this is going to go by quickly. Any any merit to that? Any idea? Does anybody actually know oh, how long Omicron's going to? Yeah, I've heard I like a couple people, weeks left. I think people are basing. That's just, it's fascinating. That's a great question. I think people are basing this on the fact that things are starting to get better in South Africa. So you know, with a lot of these variants, what we've been doing is. UK is a really great example. They're ahead of us by, you know, a couple of months. Italy's, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like a a good barometer. And South Africa potentially is a good barometer for us. But, 
South Africa is a very different country than the United States. It also has a very different vaccination history. Um, it's also got just a, a very different homogeneity in terms of like who's in that population. And also just um, how people are responding both to um, the vaccine and to the disease itself. So I think while South Africa is a helpful model from which to say, okay, we've got some data, uh, I wouldn't hang my hat on the fact that because they're having a certain trajectory, we're going to have the exact same trajectory. And in fact, we know that not to be the case because we've seen other variants in this country that have had a much different trajectory than other countries. So um, I, I think that that's um, probably not exactly what we should be relying on. Okay. And then... Uh, I've got more questions too from people that he's been. Oh, I've, I've just been gathering like these ridiculous questions. Tom's got, I know, I, yeah, questions. yeah, I have a ton too. Go, go ahead, go, it, yeah. go ahead. Well, no, no, I'm no. Gonna... well, we probably have the same question too about like people are saying you're gonna get like. I think people are trying to throw the mask thing out the window as well too. So, but people are still getting it with masks on, right? Is it because they're not wearing their N95s? Is it because they're not double masking? Is it because Omicron just happens to be a way more contagious than the other ones are? Because that's like I keep seeing bits and pieces of either people abandoning them and being like, it doesn't help anyway. Can I help then, field this? Yeah, I think I could almost help field this. So me and my wife were having this conversation the other day. So she was going to work and then people are going in with, you know, now the new rules is five days. This and that. So this, this is going to lead to one of my questions, actually. Right. So I'm like, the only way to truly protect yourself. Right. Is not only a mask, but some sort of eye shield because you still have you still have ability for it to infect you through your eye, if it's airborne right for it to come in through your eyes so are, they, are you going to go out there wearing like that full face mask that co totally covers never touch your face always be i'm going wild. out there dressed like fucking bane dude but you could well no bane won't even do it because his eyes are open That's so you can't do that i saw Didn't a, have that hood at one point <laughs> i saw a woman in the airport that had the legit mask where it covered everything ears mm. like the whole thing was all covered up all plastic and a ventilator on the bottom. So I'm like, unless you're going to go to that extent, I don't think you're going to be totally protected, right, Heather? That's a genius point. I, you know, I don't know if you remember during Ebola, the nurses that were um, that contracted Ebola in Texas. It may, it may, it may be fuzzy, but there were these these nurses that got Ebola, and people couldn't figure it out. They're like, how did they get Ebola? How yeah. did they get Ebola? Yeah. Um, come to find out that what happened to them was um, the the gentleman, the patient who had Ebola had vomited, like spewed bodily matter all over the place. And these nurses were covered like top to bottom, except one small area, their hair was hanging on like in, like kind of on their gowns a little bit. So um, Ebola matter got onto their hair. You know, then nobody really thought about it. They go home. Um, eventually they washed their hair, but in that little space of time was how um, the Ebola virus um, was contracted by both of these nurses. Just unfortunate, they had had long hair. Um, so that begs the question in terms of um, the entry point for a virus like uh, coronavirus. And yeah, Tom brings up a phenomenal point. Um, there are other entry points besides the nose and the mouth. I also question how effectively people are wearing their masks. Oh, yeah. You see people walking around and they got the mask yeah. up there and they got the mask sideways like this. Um, also, now there's growing 
evidence that cloth masks are not what you should be wearing and that if you can get an N95 mask, that is the way to go. Um, also the two-ply, three-ply surgical mask, also the way to go. So yeah, it's, it's becoming increasingly obvious um, that both the entry point and the exit points for COVID um, are needing to be shored up. And I think we're getting, people are getting a little more lax in terms of um, the measures that they are taking. And so that leads to, no pun intended, but a, a porousness of this, um, which allows for uh, people to be exposed to the vaccine. So yeah, I like Tom's uh, answer a lot. And uh, that's tough out there now. I have a, I have a question real quick. I'm sorry, because this was one that was uh, posed to me that it almost leads into. So now people are saying, now that the CDC has cut down the regulation to like a five-day quarantine, which is pretty yeah. intensely short, right? Yeah. I know. I, I can't see that being like from no. a good medical standpoint. But now if somebody's testing positive for 30 days, right? You have some of these people that test positive. Well, the, up to 90 days. Up to 90 okay. days. Okay. Even better. Up to 90 Wait, days. Say it again? You, what, 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 up to 90 days? Yeah. People, people are testing upwards of 90 days positive for COVID. So a lot of doctors are basically giving people clearance um, because you, you can't. I mean, even the CDC came out with that. They're like, we're not going to, we're not going to expect people to be um, isolated for 90 days for three months. So right. people are essentially getting clearances, even if they're, even though they're still testing positive for COVID. So that How leads that? to the question, if yeah. they're testing positive, can they still actively infect? I know it says 90% of infections happen within the first five days, and right. that's what made them cut the rule down to five days, but you're Perfect. still 10% of infections on a highly infectious disease. So like, the, the issue really becomes Again, now now going back to the mass and so forth, um, the pathway by which somebody would be contagious. So, again, this was a conversation we had, I think it was last week, about the rapid test and the, and the antigen test, right? And how do people how do people test? And again, you'd have to wonder what are people testing positive for? Are they testing positive on the rapid antigen test, or are they testing positive on the PCR test? Because the PCR test is very sensitive, um, and uh, it's uh, very selective, so it's gonna it's it's gonna pick up somebody who is who is uh, COVID positive. Um, it goes through like thirty to forty cycles um, before it comes up with a positive test. So it's gonna pick those people up, even though they may not be contagious. The people you have to be more concerned about are the people who um, are getting swabbed, so they're getting these rapid antigen tests. Um, and although the PCR people are getting swabbed too, but the people getting these rapid antigen tests because their viral load is so high that these are the people you're concerned about who are actually going to be contagious. They cough, <laughs> coughing, sneezing—that's <laughs> my imitation of a sneeze. They're sneezing, they're coughing, they're you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever else they're doing. So if you if you if you have COVID and you test positive on, on PCR tests, but your viral load is super low, we don't have to worry about you as much because even though you may be positive for COVID, you're, there's not really a, a methodology by which you can effectively transmit COVID. These are the same people who um, they're like day one in to being positive for COVID. So if they got a PCR test and it came back, we'd see that they're positive, but they don't have enough of a viral load to come up positive on the antigen 
um, rapid test. So then they were just like, woohoo, I'm good because I'm not positive because I didn't come up on the rapid test. Well, no, you're positive for COVID. You just don't have enough of a viral load for that to come up. So it's not ideal, but you've got a lot of these people who probably are still positive for COVID. Um, and yet, what's the likelihood that they are going to uh, transmit COVID to somebody else, given that they have such a low viral load? It's uh, small-ish. Hmm. But there's no, I mean, there's no way to really tell uh, at this point who has Omicron and who doesn't or what, or who's got a low viral, you know what I mean? Like, so if you're out, the likelihood of you getting it is very strong, right? Because if who's not wearing their mask Ooh. properly. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good point they're making right because well, what else I mean, the other thing too is what i want to add to that real quick too before i forget because i'm going to yeah. um is how long they haven't talked about how long omicron lasts like in the air on sir you know what i mean because for a while they were like this is how long this lasts this is how long this lasts on this surface if you're using this equipment you know whatever i haven't heard a thing about okay. how long it hangs in the air if it's in a building yes. on that's metal really, that's another great point so the, the, the thing about um, COVID in the air and COVID on surfaces, where, why it's not getting as much play anymore is because essentially if you, so let's say, let's say Bob and Susie are in a room together and Bob has Omicron, right? So he's, he, and he's got a huge viral load, right? So he's chit-chatting with Susie in a room for like 10 minutes and then he leaves. And when he, when he leaves, he like licks the table. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like Bob. Bob be like that. Yeah, Bob yeah. be like that. <laughs> so he licks the table and he leaves, right? Now, the likelihood of Susie getting COVID from Bob licking the table, relative to the likelihood of Susie getting COVID because she's been talking to Bob for 10 minutes, well, there we go. So most, the vast majority of people are getting COVID because they are in the physical presence in real time of someone who has COVID with a very large viral load? That's not to say that then, you know, 20 minutes later, if Jane walks into the room where Bob was and she's there for like 45 minutes and there's no Bob, would she possibly get COVID? It's possible. But then probably poor Jane is going to run into Bob, you know, uh, yeah. wait for the bus, and then they're going to have a 20 minute conversation. Boom. Now she got COVID because she's talking to Bob over there. So let's be selfish. So let's say you have a 24 hour gym and you're a kind of a psycho who goes at one o'clock in the morning when no one's there. Am I going to get right. COVID if somebody was in the gym that had it? Lower right, chance. Right, right. So there's so lower chance. Um, there's a really, really good study out of China from over a year ago, um, peer-reviewed, that looked at restaurants. Um, and I think this didn't get a whole lot of play just because people would have lost their minds. Um, but basically it it the study, they just lit up restaurants. They lit they lit it up for COVID. They were like, they would go into these restaurants and at the end of the night they'd light it up, and these restaurants were just jam-packed full of um, the uh, corona, coronavirus. Like, just, just, it'd be like if you, if you lit a restaurant up and you, you, you would have to swim through, <clears throat> you know, the virus to like get to your seat. That's what these restaurants were like. Right. Now, were these people uh, exposed to uh, coronavirus? Yes. Is there a likelihood that if these people, all of the things being equal, and they just sat in that restaurant, 
they could have gotten COVID. Yes. But did these people also have other exposure either to the people who had COVID that were in the restaurant or the, the maitre d' or the uh, waitress? Yes. So it's very challenging to separate out people who get exposed to people with COVID just because they're in their midst versus uh, you. It, it, it's sort of the unicorn example of, you know, I just happen to be the lone person who 45 minutes after a restaurant closes, I've been around nobody else with COVID. And then I walk in there and I sit in that restaurant like space for 45 minutes and then I leave and I get COVID. Right. But that, would that be possible for that person? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Exactly. It really would. So I don't so, know if that makes sense how I'm saying it, but basically most people are going to get COVID because they're around people that have COVID. Um, but could you get COVID in these spaces that have lots of COVID uh, in its midst? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Okay. So Eugene has a whole bunch of questions. He's, so he said uh, he wants to know if it is a lower chance. So it's a lower chance. And he said oh, yeah, he worked, yeah. worked in a restaurant for the last two years and he's been COVID free, which is good. And he said, and he works, I know he works in a school during the day. So he said, someone I worked with just came to work with on the sixth day of COVID. I'm treating them like a pariah. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near them. Yeah, well, because Eugene, you don't know if they have Delta or if they have Omicron. So uh, that's a wise of you. That's a great question from Eugene too, though. That's, that's what I feel like a lot of people have given up because they're basically, that's another thing I keep hearing too, is everybody's going to get it, buckle up and just, just get it over with. I don't want to get it. I mean, is that the case? Well, but it may be the case, but th this is the thing I, I've been saying on the show for a while now. It's you getting it isn't, it's, we're not, people are not one and done with COVID. Right. Uh, like people, I think we all know people that have had COVID more than once. So it would be nice if it were chicken pox where you get COVID and then you never have to worry about it again. The concern is that you get COVID and then three months from now when we have Megatron, <laughs> yeah, way crazier. You're gonna get that, and so mm -hmm. it's not just a matter of. I mean, it would be nice if it were like herpes zoster, chicken pox, but it that's not what this is. It's you get COVID, and then two months from now, um, you're you're you get some some other version of it, but it's uh, more problematic potentially. So that's what the issue is. So it's it, we we can't, you know. I'm impressed by people that say, "Oh, I'll just I'll get it and then I'll move on and live my best life." And somebody said to me because we were talking about the gigs and stuff like that that I've got that I that have canceled. Thankfully, the one in the comedy club in D.C. emailed me first, and they were like, "We've had too many people have an outbreak. We're rescheduling shows till February." Blah 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 blah. It was like February or March, and then they were like, "But you know, we're canceling the gigs," which I was like, "Great." The other ones, not so much. And one of somebody had said to me, you know, I wish you had already gotten it because if you had, you could just come down. And I'm like, I still like it's insane that that's the thought process behind it is like, ah, I've already had it. So fuck it. I'm just going to keep now not, I can go anywhere. It's not working that way. Um, and also, you know, it's just gotten very complicated now with um, the different variants of uh, the different vaccines. The, the timelines for people, um, people who are boosted versus people who are not boosted, people who've had one shot, people who have no shot. Um, it's it, it's just the continuum of where people are and what that looks like is, 
I mean, again, I'm impressed that somebody would say that because, you know, I'd have lots of questions like, well, have you been boostered? Is this, have you only had one? Yeah. Uh, when were you boosted? <clears throat> I mean, I'd have so many questions for that person. Um, and so just to sort of slough it off as like, oh, I had COVID, you know, when yeah. did you have COVID? Did you have it one year ago? Did you have it two days ago? Did you have it two years? I mean, when, when did you have, you know, so I, I, that, that would have been, I could maybe see in April of 2020 making a statement like that. Maybe. I certainly can't see making a statement like that now. There's too many variants. There's too much fluidity in terms of what protections people have. There's too much fluidity in terms of have people been boosted? Um, too many people are getting reinfected. I just can't even see that holding up in January 2022. Do you think the government knows about the like, do you think because I, I feel like right now they're they're dragging their feet. I feel like they have plenty of justification to enforce mandates and to you know, do what they need to do to keep us kind of safer and better, maybe reinstituting the CARES Act. Oh, sorry, I think I froze, but maybe reinstituting the CARES Act so I'm not fucking out of money this month um, or whatever. But like, do you think they know that eventually it's going to get to the point where there's a timeline on our vaccines and there's going to be a variant that knocks it all down and they're waiting until it gets so bad that they have no choice just to save face? Or do you think they just don't care? I think... I think the government is in a tough situation because um, at this point, I think it's going to be very hard to put the genie back in the bottle. So I think it's going to be difficult to shut things down in the same way that we did in 2020. Sure. But then um, what's the alternative? You know what I mean? Like, what are they, what, what but then it's got to be mandates and it, or Vax passports or something. It's, something's got to get the numbers up. And even, is it even going to matter? Like, like, what's the window we have now? I think I froze again, but I don't know. What's the window we have now um, between, you know, because what? We had to be at 90% at a certain point in time vaccinated, but we were only at 63 right now. Is there still a window where we can, no, we're done, that's over? I mean, I, the reason why I'm shaking my head is just because <laughs> we there's so many breakthrough cases. Right. You can't even call them breakthrough cases anymore. They're now just cases. So herd immunity, I mean, you know, another public health person might have a different thought about this. But to me, herd immunity, when you're talking about something like measles, is a very different thing than herd immunity when you're talking about sure. uh, COVID. And so even if at, by some miraculous space, we got everybody up to 90% vaccination in the United States, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, we're, we're, you know, we're, that does nothing for our friends in Ethiopia or sure. Thailand or so forth. So you still got all these other countries um, that have the potential to have these uh, variants break out. And that's the other problem, right? Is, you know, the variants are not happening. I mean, there are variants happening in the United States, but they're not at the level of the ones that we are focusing on. But these variants are happening in the UK and and Brazil and uh, South Africa. So even if we were able to get our own country together, that, that that does nothing in terms of like what's happening in the rest of the world. And we have zero control over that. And so unless we want to shut down our borders in a way that I think is probably not going to be realistic, 
we're open to all of that. So it's kind of our, our, uh, our numbers in terms of the pandemic um, and herd immunity relative to the rest of the world, it almost becomes negligible. So are we supposed to function in between variants? Um, a learned, yeah. you know what I mean? Like for the, for, for people who don't want to get it, let's say, um, I don't know. Like what I don't like, you, you know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. you know, I'm assuming there's going to be a break in between Omnic, I hope Omicron dying out and you know, yes, that's a good hope. starting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a good hope. I think that that's, that's, uh, I think that that's a good hope. So, but then the question becomes what, what does the what does it look like after that? I sure. personally think the government's probably hoping that we just have we COVID becomes endemic. Seasonal. So essentially, oh. it just becomes yeah yeah seasonal. It just it's just here to stay, and then we just live with it. I think that's where the government is hoping we head. Either that, or we get really good antivirals, which lead to um, some other. Uh, Breakthrough. Yeah, some sort of breakthrough. I think those are the two hopes that the government has. One is that it just becomes kind of not completely horrific and long hauler COVID isn't as bad as it appears to be and people can recover. And also that we get to a point where eventually we have some antivirals and some other um, medications that will ward off what people, I mean, but you know, there's, there's some people that have really bad long, we don't even talk about that that much, but some people have really horrible long hauler COVID disease that impacts their diaphragm, that impacts their yeah. voice, their ability to speak, um, their lungs. Well, that's why I don't want it either. I don't want the lung issues. I like to run. I like to bike. I like to stay, you know what I mean? I like to walk. They are not biking. They are not running. They're not so right. Exactly. So um, those are all the things I think the government is hoping that we avoid. So I, I don't think that it's that they don't care. I think it's more of a fingers crossed hoping to, to I, that, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's, they might it's, as well not care. It's an <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I think I I would say that's what it is, but I that's a that's a that's a that's a challenging strategy. Good lord, <laughs> a challenging strategy. Tom, what do you got? Um, no, I was gonna say Eugene is also saying like anti antibiotics overuse can cause the virus mutation, so they have to be working on the next one. Like it can, you you can't get ahead of it because you don't know what the next mutation is gonna present. Um, that is. It's very accurate. Right. Exactly. So it's a guessing game of sorts. Correct. And we've never been able to cure the common cold, which is a coronavirus. Which is a coronavirus. Exactly. Right. That's that. I I feel like we talked about that on the show a long time ago. Um, And there's never been and there's never been a fully effective vaccine for a coronavirus Um, before. Well, I mean, if you want to say these are, I guess you could. Do you say- think they're going to be able to tell eventually um, how it'll affect each part? Like, because, like, what if I want, like, do you think they'll be able to tell if I got it or, you know, or something like that, what it'll do to me or no? Now, that that is next level thinking right there. Yes, I do. Now we're, now you're starting to talk about, um, you know, uh, 
genetic mapping and, and specialized medication. And um, that actually could become extremely interesting. And I do think things like that are on the horizon. It's just going to take a while, right? So do I think we're going to eventually get to a point where um, there will be medication for COVID that we don't have now um, that will be very specialized and individualized for people and do certain things. Yes, I, I actually do think that that's coming. It's not happening next year. No. It's going to take several years. And in the meanwhile, if we continue to not try to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be and protect each other and ourselves as best that we can, um, there are going to be a lot of people that are injured along the way. So this mm -hmm. is a long game, right? Yeah. It's a long game. And uh, if we're not careful, more people than than we would want or won't make it along the way. But yes, I believe, I I believe that 100%. I mean, I've known mm -hmm. now some people who've got it who are not doing too well, who right. are, you know, but because they're heavier or, you know, they maybe right. have something that they didn't know. Yeah, that they had before. I mean, one of my buddies got it and he was down for like 10 days with it and he's ex and he's out of the clear. But he's like, I just went to do my normal workload, like what I normally do during the day. And I'm fucking wiped. That's yeah. And he said he can't shake it. He is not alone. He's, I, I just, you know, I feel like everybody knows that one person that had COVID that is a mess. Right. And so mm -hmm. if nothing else, that would dictate to you. Well, I would think it would dictate to you that one, it's not a disease that you want Two, it's something we should all try to protect each other from. Um, and yeah. three, uh, that we we're we're a little under two years into this or actually we're two years into it, really, as of, yeah. you know, yesterday. Um, happy anniversary, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. So we're 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 two years into it yesterday. Uh, but that's nothing in the lifespan of a disease. What will the next twenty years look like for COVID in the aftermath? I don't know, but I, I I would you know I would think that people would not want to find out. Right. And so that should be another incentive. What about like? Because I'm thinking, and this may be a weird parallel, but you know like the first responders that went into the buildings at 9-11, how long it took them for the Disease of the Droga Act to come through because they did what they did. What about the people in the beginning? Like how is health insurance going to handle this kind of stuff? Because as of right now, I feel like your our generations are the ones who they're tossing out to the wind because they're basically saying, you're going to get it no matter what. At some point, you got to go back out and work. But if this is a long-term thing, and we don't know how it's going to affect people. What if, you know, by the time we're 50, there's some horrible health issues and are anybody going to cover that? Are they talking about any of that? That is a phenomenal. I, I love that analogy so much. It's the best one I can think of. The only other one I can think of, but it's not as good, again, is HIV, which I, you mm. know, have talked about before. But the 9-11 example is way better. Thanks. Because it's a very obvious example of how people were down there. They were trying to save lives. They were trying to give dignity to people who um, were lost. And 20 years later, some of these people are just getting sick. So mm -hmm. that's a really, really good analogy. And I would say 
to the extent, again, that we really don't know the impact of COVID long-term. We're starting to have some thoughts about what it may look like, but it, it's a work in progress. Who knows? I mean, if you're, if you're somebody and you have long hauler COVID and you've got medical bills um, that might be, you know, $50,000 a year and you're, you're going to need some unbelievably expensive antiviral 12 years from now. Yeah. Insurance going to pay for that. I don't know. I'm right. not really sure. And then if, if your insurance can prove that you were somehow negligent <laughs> yeah. how, how you led your life or so forth. Exactly. Um, well, that those people. And also I'm thinking about the people who were, you know, deemed, uh, what do you, what do they call it? I'm fucking blanking on the word, but you know what I mean? The essential essential employees. What right. about the people who did have to fucking, you know, yeah. pump gas and and shop for people and like, what about their health concerns long term? Who's going to take care of them? Very similar to nine eleven. I yeah. feel like people who were forced to be at ground zero and do that very courageous work. Um, we have no idea what it means for somebody that was exposed. I mean, I, you know, like a, a first responder or an essential worker who has been exposed to COVID for years now, I I don't honestly know what that means for their health. It may mean nothing. And I hope it means sure. nothing. Um, yeah. But th those are the kind of things that um, only the future will tell us. Longitudinal studies, um, you know, keeping an eye on these individuals. But 9-11, again, is a an interesting analogy. And uh, I think it's a I think it's as good of an analogy as we have in, in the modern era. Thanks. And, it's a, and then it was, I thought it was crazy because it was the only thing that made sense to me at the time. But I was like, is it two different extremes? But I'm glad that it's not. That's a because, great analogy. The only way I, I can explain it to myself. I, I, that's, a, that's actually, I love the analogy. I think it's a really, really, really solid one. Cool. Um, it's a very good way of thinking about this uh, problem. And uh, it, it should be a cautionary tale for people. It is for me. I've mm. thought about it, um, hadn't articulated it in my mind quite the way you did until uh, until you just articulated it that way. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you credit. I'll utilize it too. But I'll give you oh, thank you. Oh, sweet. <laughs> All right. Whatever helps. <laughs> and then Eugene has another question because he said, uh, he said, as an asthmatic already struggling to get all my prescriptions, this is scary. And he's like, also, being that the cold is a coronavirus, could a cold cause a positive test result in some of these tests? No, because they're looking at um, the antigen tests are looking at specific um, proteins, um, and that's what's coming up positive. So, no, it's a great question. Um, but yeah, the common if you have the common cold, uh, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> it's, a <micro. laughs> it's a good yeah. question, though. But uh, different proteins are popping up for the rapid antigen test and the PCR test. All right. The uh, um, what am I gonna say? Too anybody else? If you do have questions, make sure you shoot them over. I'll be sure to address them as we go through everything. Sorry about that, guys. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to think who else because I had I had a lot of people asking different questions as far as uh, so all right, so I know I don't, I, and I'm not about a political show, but this is dystopia tonight, so I can bring this up. <laughs> so a lot of people were hoping that with the change in mayor that he was going to go in the completely uh, opposite direction, not acting like he is also from the same party as the previous mayor and everything else, and thinking that New York City was going to get their uh, 
was going to get things lifted. It looks like he actually instituted more regulation, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if everybody's up on that, but Heather, yeah, I'm sure no, he did. He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, again, I mean, you know, I don't know that anybody wants to be that mayor that gets to sort of have the moniker of, you know, COVID mayor or, uh, you know, down on my way. I, I, it's it's a it's a difficult time that we're in, and so to the extent that uh, someone would want to put safeguards in place that balance the civil liberties, public health uh, discussion we've been talking about, um, you're going to have a lot of leeway as a mayor. You're going to have a lot of leeway as a public official uh, in 2022, and I, you know, I I can't necessarily blame somebody that wants to uh, safeguard people who they think maybe aren't going to be able to safeguard themselves. And I know he extended like the key to the city act. So not only did he give yes. a continuation. Right. Yep. 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 Exactly. Yeah. So you, I, it would not surprise me to see more of that. Exactly. Yep. I love these terminologies because they sound so much like video game like terminology we're like he we enacted the power of the city key ah, and you're like oh did you okay yeah, the power of Greystone. yeah yeah exactly where you're like what the fuck did he just say yeah, you know. <laughs> but it, as, yeah, as long as he's doing whatever he's got to do yeah murphy's not they're not doing anything in new jersey murphy is just fucking i think he thinks he's running again which he can but I don't know. I, I don't know. We're just, Keep you know. Keep it classy, Jersey. Keep it classy. <laughs> unbelievable. It's just, just shore trash all the way through. It's unreal. I fucking hate it here. I fucking can't stand it. Everywhere you go. But, you know, but so, <laughs> these states, to a certain extent, they have to work together. I mean, you know, it does New York no good if people in Fort Lee are living the best yeah. lives, doing what they're doing. So it's it goes back to your point about, you know, how do you, you know, how do you do something in Connecticut and not do it in New York? And yeah. how do you do it in New York and not do it in New Jersey? Exactly. And which is, that is very challenging. Well, let me ask you this as a lawyer and as a public health expert, is there anybody, is there any organization that is trying to force the hand of the governors of these states to kind of unify? Because why isn't anybody, why, why? You know, are they really? Because that's great. If there if there is such a thing, you know, like a fucking I don't know that's workers' right. union, but for COVID, I, I you know what I mean? Like for somebody who's going yeah. like step up, do something. Is that shit happening? And can we get behind you it? Know, there actually was a consortium, which is kind of still it's still in existence with uh, seven different governors here on um, in the Northeast and Massachusetts part of it, and Connecticut's part of it, and New Jersey's part of it, and it still exists for the reason just described, which is, you know, if you've got Jersey doing one thing and New York doing another thing, it's tough. It got, it got kind of tortured with the uh, restaurants. Restaurants was sort of where it fell apart because, oh my God. you know, different, different states wanted restaurants to have different leeway. And so then you had people in Jersey, they were like, I'll just go to Long Island and eat my steak dinner. And I'll just, you know, so that's it, the it, shit that, that drives me crazy. Yeah. So it fell apart that way. Um, but, you know, I think to the extent that we, um, you do have advocacy groups and watch groups that are out there trying to get some of these states to band together. Because again, in New Jersey and New York, there's too many people that have business in these states and they 
trans they they travel between the two. Sure. There's gotta be some uh synergy with with states like that and Connecticut and Pennsylvania. So um there are these loose consortiums, but uh there's different interest in some of these states that make it very difficult to have them continue. Yeah, like bread truck drivers. How are they gonna pretend to deliver bread when they're really delivering coke to different states? Like how are they gonna do it? And drug, like, but I mean, like, that's the thing that drives me crazy. I'm just kidding, bread truck drivers. You guys are fine. Uh, probably they make a little too much money, by the way. I don't know how some of them do it. I know how some of them do it. They're dealing bread and drugs. There's no way baguettes cost that much. You know what I mean? Like, they're driving them over state lines. Like, come on. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, come on, that's not happening. Um, yeah, that's another thing too. I mean, I look, I feel for the businesses and stuff like that, but I just genuinely do. It's just me. I don't care about businesses over over any kind of help like i understand that people it, it doesn't make any sense to me why we're still pretending like I, I understand before covid where we all pretended like the economy was real and you know money isn't just paper and uh you know all the silly shit we do that makes up our society you know government shit but when it's something that's like wiping people out i feel like that's when you got to put the toys aside and go okay you know, I don't want people to lose their business. I really wish the government would step in and do whatever they could to save it. But it's kind of seems arbitrary to me. It seems arbitrary to me to go, you know, yeah, everybody gets a check on this Thursday, you know, during the pandemic, and then we'll see where it goes. Like, you clearly have the money. And, you know, the CARES Act thing and the, you know, like, it exists. They can do it. I, I, I don't want to be caught. Like, there's no, there's no way to not be caught in that balance. I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I I think the let's end on a high note. The first, <laughs> first COVID wave definitely showed us that the government has the ability to do certain things that um heretofore we've been told maybe they there can't. isn't ability. And so uh, I think that's a really um deep and interesting philosophical note to think about in terms of um the least of us and um those that don't have and how how we as a society care about those individuals and how what we want our legacy to look like in terms of um how we have cared for individuals right and so i think to it's the not looking good we yeah to the extent that we uh there's a lot of studies looking at you know prison populations and how you can measure society by how they treat those that are incarcerated and yeah. uh, I think co the COVID era will be another way to measure societies in terms of how they treated those who didn't have enough to eat and didn't have um, places to sleep. And there's a good Dostoevsky quote about that. I think about the government of uh, societies judged on. I'm gonna fucking butcher it. I'll edit it in later. But the, yeah. it's me in a different shirt and like a smile on my face, and I'm like, the but yeah, it's basically uh, a society can be judged based on the yes. How it treats that's its prisoners or something like that. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes, exactly. Something like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure everybody be everybody who thinks I'm a commie anyway will be like, he's quoting a Russian, you know, but whatever. I don't care. <laughs> that's gonna help my uh my anti-commie <laughs> the amount of times. Uh that's just crazy. I feel like I don't know. Do you have any more questions from the uh people, Tom? No, I'm okay right now. With, right, if cool. anybody else that's has like, it, feel free to shoot them in though. Yeah, I feel like we've gone like way, well, not way over, but you know what I mean? We always try to keep it as an hour, but. It's always I'm, a pleasure I, to see the two of you. And yeah. I want to thank both of you for keeping this topic at the forefront and um, dealing with it in a very 
sensitive and um, intellectual manner. I, I you know, I, I, I think it, it's a source of pride to me to be able to feel as though in some kind of a way I can give information to people and hopefully somebody out there can take it and make some decisions uh, based on it. Um, and so, you know, the fact that we're all here together able to do that, I think is uh, something to be proud of. Yeah, I agree. And thanks for doing it too, because I uh, like literally quote you almost every, I'm like, my friend Heather. Yes, my friend John. <laughs> and then I like list, and then I like have to list your fucking credits. And I'm like, oh, doesn't this done that but yeah it's crazy and i just thank you for all the information you provided too because it's yeah. it's it's provided a lot of clarity for me and it's helped it's helped just me kind of steer clear of uh a lot of bullshit that I people are somebody, like you know to give you your due john i think somebody like you and i mean uh, tom knows i feel this way about him as well but i think you have to have a certain mindset coming into this in order to be able to um give back really amazing information and also to be able to absorb it in a way that you can convey it. And everybody is not there. Um, right. And so to the extent that the two of you are, then, you know. I, uh, I appreciate it. it. Tins, Tinsman says, thank you for a wonderful conversation. My wife actually has a question, which means she wasn't watching the whole show because we did it before, but we'll do it one more time <laughs> for you, Lauren. So she's saying, I know we already spoke about this, but I have a coworker who was at home for more than 10 days and still showing positive but no symptoms and coming to work. Are they contagious if they're positive? So this is, I, I mean, the question I would have would be like, what what test did they get? Did they get the rapid mm. antigen test? Did they get the PCR test? They probably got, maybe they got the PCR test. Um, but they probably, I mean, unfortunately, and the CDC has said this, and it's not, it's a small comfort to somebody if maybe you have a coworker in this situation, but at a certain point, you gotta just, you know, <laughs> and be like, okay, you 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 you've done your time, and right, just go back to live your life because people can be positive for upwards of ninety days. So that's, I mean, again, this none of this is an exact science, um, but you know, somebody like that probably uh, is not contagious any longer just because their viral load is is very low. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that on a PCR test, they're not going to come up positive. And it's also not to say that there isn't some, you know, small possibility that they might um, be able to uh, transmit the disease to somebody else. But more likely than not, um, they don't have a viral load in their nasal passages that would emit COVID. Um, but but I would say they certainly should be wearing masks. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> if yeah. five masks or like 10 hanging around, you might want to give them to them. Um, so I think they should be taking precautions. They should be washing their hands. They should, I, I mean, that's me. Like me personally, I probably, I would still stay at home, right? But if I were at work, I'd be wearing N95 masks. I'd be washing my hands. I'd have a separate office somewhere. I'd be right. to a store. Yes. Um, you know, I would be doing all those things. So I, I guess I don't, what I wouldn't understand from that person would be, are they like in the office, you know, with their feet propped up, uh, you know, hanging out with no mask on, uh, singing an aria. I mean, what, what <laughs> so, uh, you know, those are all the questions I would have about that person. And right. I, I would also think that just because of 
try to be a good citizen, they would want to take as many precautions as you can. So this goes back to John's original point, which is, <laughs> you know, like if, if you've got people who are not doing the right thing and they're not wearing masks and they're, you know, not washing their hands and they're not staying away from people when they should, well, then they're not doing the right thing. Right. Um, that's kind of where we potentially are with people. What yeah. would you recommend to people going to work with those people? Do you think they should bringing, make sure I they're wearing a N95 mask for them? Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, all kidding aside, I, I, I would, the workplace should have certain policies in place. So the first thing I'd be checking would be what are the workplace policies? What does your workplace say about when people can come back to work, where they should be working, how they should be working? Also, th does the person have to physically be there? Right. Like, can accommodations be made for them to work at home, for them to be able to, um, you right. know, do something so they don't have to physically come into the office? Why do they have to be in the office? Do they have to be in the office? Are they an essential worker? Um, so these would all be questions. Are there ways to accommodate this employee at the workplace for another couple? We're not talking about forever, but for another couple of weeks so that they don't have to physically be there. Can the job just give them time off? I mean, these are all possibilities um, that I think the workplace should explore and the workplace should have policies in place to deal with this. So, so I, have, I have a friend who works at Island Beach State Park who uh, was exposed to this woman, this other nut job that I do know that happens to work there, who is a uh, Trump supporter, uh, completely anti-vax, has never gotten vaccinated and had this crazy ass large, I'm talking large gathering of her family members over the holidays, caught Omicron, came to work, and knowing she coughing, no mask in the in a state in a state park, which I'm pretty sure there's laws against at this point, right? Isn't there supposed to be like, okay? So comes into the state office, coughing, whatever, and winds up having to leave because she and she exposed everybody she was working with through COVID because she wouldn't get back. Can there be charges pressed? Can the state be sued? Can like what's the what's the ramification for that? It's funny you mentioned that because that, I mean, you know, whenever I think I'm, you know, well, let me just put it this way. I think I'm going to have a job for a while. <laughs> because what you just mentioned, you know, that was a huge thing with uh, with the HIV laws back in the day. When right. you had these cases with people who um, had HIV and then knowingly had sexual relations with somebody and then the right. notion like, well, that should be actionable. Well, yeah, then it became actionable. Um, so, you know, this notion that people potentially, this is what I'm saying about, like, where are we heading with some of this? And some of what we could be heading with this is exactly what you just said. People who knowingly have COVID and then um, they are actively contagious and people can make a direct causal link to um, their disease and somebody else's disease. That's all on the table, right? Right. Um, and I think that once we get over this horrible crisis, you will start to see lawsuits like that. And it will keep people like me. I'm, I'm not a litigious human being, even though I'm a lawyer. But um, <laughs> I, I know the, the irony. Well, I might recommend my awesome. friend to you because this woman um, needs to be fired immediately. But like, I don't know. Like, I mean, it was willfully fucking done. Like, it was just so like, that, she doesn't. Yes, that's the kind of thing where, again, the first place that any workplace wants to look is their policies. 
What do they? Well, Iron Beach is trying to cover it. I mean, that's another thing too. How do you expose something like that? I feel like I should be talking to you privately about this, but I'm curious. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing where um, is there a phone call I can make. I potentially, or you know, I mean, in New York, I you know, the system is a little different in New Jersey, but we have uh, a system here called contact tracers, um, whereby people who know of situations where somebody may have COVID and may be spreading it can contact the contact tracers and let them know that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, something like that is definitely a possibility where, you know, if you know that somebody actively has COVID and is not doing what they need to do, contacting um, local government officials um, to let okay. them know that um, is definitely something that um, local officials want to know about because they want to stop these uh and there's you know jersey shore again jersey shore strikes again but jersey shore has had several of these cases of people who had these like large jersey shore apartments and and they were whistleblowers that right called it in so that is a possibility with a situation like that yeah. and that go is directly you know your local department of health can take those cases um hmm. quite easily cool i'm making a phone call tomorrow uh <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. we have any more questions, Tom, before I get the hell out of here? No, Lauren said she'll be ordering some new masks ASAP. Yeah. And expensive. 100%. It'll be worth it. I got. Yeah. I actually purchased 40 and 95 masks at our Home Depot. And, oh, uh, shit. Yeah, they, they, wow, you were able to walk in and pick them up? Yep. I sure wow. did. I got them, I actually, know. I got them in uh, Staten Island. I, I might be going Island. to do that tomorrow I myself. The, uh, I can't Staten get to Staten Island. Island. Home Depot <laughs> in, uh, on uh, so, You know what? Uh, like, before we go, I think that's another good thing to touch on because John's having a little bit of trouble finding some tests. Are there any Are there any recommended sites or locations to get tests, tests or masks or anything of that nature that people might yeah. want still? So um, masks, definitely. I mean, like, I, I'm not joking. Like, I can help you out with that. My nonprofit cool. uh, does mass distributions on a regular basis. So I'm happy to uh, be a resource for you or anybody else that wants to have information about that. Um, most Department of Health have information about the mask. Um, you know, in terms of, like, localities, uh, the governor's offices of both New Jersey and New York have resources available in terms of where you can get uh, vaccination. There are pop-up vaccinations happening all the time, um, both sponsored by government officials and just local organizations. Um, but I'm happy to help with that. And if you just want some quick information, your local governor's offices, certainly in the in this area, New York and New Jersey, have information about the pop-up vaccinations um, and sites and where you can get masks. And I'm happy to help with that as well. Because cool. I have masks, um, through my organization and uh, also can get uh, people access to masks. But uh, if you can get yourself, if you can get a hand on N95 masks, which like I said, Home Depot, that's where I got mine, um, and, and other places are now making them available, it's it's worth it. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. Uh, mm -hmm. Always like talking about this stuff. I have a feeling I might be back. I hope I'll be back. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I hope I hope you invite me back. Oh, we'll yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely do more, for sure. Yeah, there's going to be more stuff coming on. Yes, it's a good way to start yes. the second season of the show. Indeed. <laughs> I, wish I, I always feel like I'm a Debbie Downer. I wish I could have more upbeat information. But, um, you know, at least... Heather's got a cure. Going, you know, that's where we are, right? So. Yeah. No, I know. And it's good to know. I, I'd rather know than not know. 
Indeed. Yeah. Thanks again, Heather. And we will see you very soon, I'm sure. Well, I'll see you on Facts Not Fear. I think we're going to be doing a lot more of this for the new year. Okay. Thanks. Good. Bye. <laughs> right. Thanks so much. Dystopia tonight.